Today's episode is about all things microbiome. It includes research on prenatal health impact on the microbiome, how your mouth microbiome impacts your entire health, signs of whether or not your mouth microbiome is healthy, how long it takes to change your microbiome according to research, what actually impacts your microbiome the most, and how something like craniosacral therapy can heal your microbiome. This podcast episode today is a recorded conversation with my friend and mentor, Nikki Kenward, CSTD. Nikki is an international instructor of craniosacral therapy through the Upledger Institute. Nikki is also the author of the book, It's All in Your Gut, and works with babies, children, and adults using craniosacral therapy in her clinic on the west side of London. I've had the joy of personally attending one of Nikki's international lectures, and I am so excited to bring Nikki back on the podcast for her second time to share with you some of the top highlights of all the research she's done on the gut and particularly the microbiome. If you have any questions on how to change your microbiome and heal from the inside out, then this podcast episode is for you. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. Awesome. So today I have another guest that you guys might be familiar with. She was on episode four of the Better Belly podcast. Her name is Nikki Kenward, and she, as I have shared before, is a dear, dear friend of mine, a mentor and a teacher. I have been in a four-day class with her where she taught us all about the gut and how it interacts with our body and all like gobs of research. It was incredible. And you all loved that episode so much that I decided I wanted to have Nikki back on the podcast. Nikki, welcome back to the Better Belly podcast. Alison, thank you so much. And I do have to say I'm delighted to be back. And it's so kind of you to say you invited me because I kind of invited myself. It's true. <laughs> there was so much else to say. I and so, but anyway, thank you for your graciousness. 
<laughs> Nikki, I was in a four-day class with you and we had one hour with you in the last episode. So when you told me you still had more to say, I was not surprised. And <laughs> I am so excited. And guys, I actually have given Nikki a lot of free reign and sharing stuff because she's a wonderfully skilled teacher. Um, and so she's just going to share with us her best stuff. And I'm going to be her little student again. And we get to share all of her wisdom today on the podcast. So Nikki, if you're ready to go, I I'm know ready. you, you have, you have a, you're ready. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Alison. Well, we covered so much stuff last time and it was really great. And it's always great to talk to you because you have such a great background in belly stuff too. And so we just kind of um, create this rich dialogue. But I finished and I thought, God, I haven't even talked about the gut bacteria. And I haven't talked about the vagus nerve and vagal tone, which is such a buzzword and how important those things are. So today, that's what I wanted to, to add, those pieces. And really, the, the outcome, I hope, is for us all to think of the whole system with great wonder and awe and respect and realize how it's a, a jigsaw of many pieces that all fit together to create our gut health, which in turn will create our mental health and put the smile on our face or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so we have about one kilogram at least of, of bacteria in our bodies. Every human cell is matched by another, by a gut bacteria. So some, some places you read that there are 10 times as many bacteria as human cells. More recent research shows it's more like one to one. That's still a lot of bugs, right? Yeah. So we, yeah. So we have them in our eyes. We have them um, on our skin. We have them in our mouth, but we have a lot of them in the colon, in the large intestine where the um, stools are formed before they leave the body. So, but there's some really interesting um, new ideas about bacteria before we go more into how important they are. Because they, yeah, so they have been found in the brain. Now, how interesting is that? It was always thought that the brain tissue was a bacteria-free zone. There needs to be more research. The people who found it thought, well, maybe they were contaminated slides they were looking at so they're going to do more research but they feel that there are in fact bacteria in the brain all right amazing and that talk to the bacteria in the gut so it's like wow um the are other you going to tell us how they talk because that's actually you said that very very lackadaisically but but uh, the, yeah the, the, the gut the bacteria in our gut talks to our brain or possibly even talking to the bacteria in our brain are you going to go over that today well the metabolites from the act the activities of the gut bacteria in the gut travel up and they can go across the blood brain barrier and talk to the brain and they so do I that via the, if, if I remember correctly from your class, they do that via the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve, yes, and also through the through the blood, and then they can be transported across the barrier. Right, right. Them. So there are a number of pathways we're discovering, and the and so if they can talk to the brain like that, if there are bacteria in the brain, do they then get to talk to their colleagues up there? 
And if the bacteria in the brain produce metabolites from their activities, there's no reason why they can't go back down that path in this wonderful gut brain microbiota axis that we have. Right, right. And we've been trying to figure out how it works because it seems pretty obvious that it's connected. We seem that maybe something going on in our brain might be affecting our gut or something going on in our gut seems like it affects our brain, our mood, our energy levels. But it's like, what is the exact mechanism? Real quick, um, I love the word metabolite to me was new about a year ago and I still don't have a great way to describe it. I'm curious, do you have for our listeners, if they've never heard of that word or they've maybe heard it thrown around, but are like, I still don't know what it is. Like, what is a good way that you would describe what a metabolite is? Oh, that's such a good question. And (laughs) I wish I had a great way to describe it. I actually don't. So if you have, go ahead. I don't, I would say the way that I end up thinking about it is like, um, like a packaging system. So uh, you have a human and, 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 and the, or or a cell and it's its own being, but then it ends up creating stuff and it makes little packages and then it sends it off. And so, um, you know, I myself never leave my my, as a cell, I may never leave my house door, but I'm, I'm kicking off other chemicals. And that's like my, what comes out of me. Um, and those chemicals aren't, some of them are toxins, um, some like toxic waste, and some of them are just messaging signals, um, or what I'm my byproducts, but metabolite is like such a fancy word for that. (laughs) I know. I, well, I, that's interesting because I tend to think of it as little parcels of stuff. Oh yeah. Although my gosh. Yes. That's so funny. So they, they, it's like the bacteria are doing whatever they need to do and they create this little parcel of stuff, which is really important to be sent somewhere, but they don't actually go there themselves. Right, right. So metabolites is this incredibly fancy word for packages. No. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. Okay, so great. So so the bacteria are in the gut and they are hanging out and, and doing their stuff. They're processing food and they're talking to other bacteria. And then they're like, oh, we have to send little messages to the brain and be like, how's it going? This is what the weather's like down here today. Here's what we need from you right now. Um, and those are their little packages they send up, little gifts. Um, yes. And so we got, okay, now we know what metabolites are. Awesome. Thank Absolutely. you for letting me interrupt and, there. Uh, well, it's good to work that out, but also it's, um, and those packages can be full of almost anything because as we're going to talk about, the bacteria in the gut, in fact, talk to all the time, they're chatting to the neurons in the gut, right. they're chatting to the hormone cells in the gut. They're chatting to the immune cells in the gut and they're getting all this information before they make their little parcels up to send up to the brain. And the information might be we're stressed, we're injured, we're happy, we haven't had any green vegetables for a month. <laughs> Who knows what it might be? Lots and there's an environmental stressor maybe that's impacting. So yeah, it can be right. many things. And, and I don't want to burst your bumble because I know you have lots of things to share. But one of the things I found fascinating when you were um, talking with us in our course was that because the bacteria are talking with our neur- neurons, mm. with the our hormones, with um, our entire gut, that they can send out those little messages of, you know, I want more greens. But also if yeah. you're not feeding yourself, for example, greens, then those bacteria mm. that crave greens will die off. 
And exactly. so then, yeah. then bacteria can affect our cravings and that can be, you know, sometimes if we're struggling with certain types of cravings, usually, um, the cravings people are avoiding are related to sugar and carbs, mm-hmm. but it might be because we've been feeding that population of bacteria and it might not be a hundred percent willpower. Like, well, you just don't have enough willpower. It's like, well, you have an angry mob of yes. <laughs> bacteria who are like, exactly. where's the carbs? Yeah. It's absolutely true. And, you know, the next thing, um, the next thing but one I was going to say, which I'm going to move up, is really about that, that we need a real diversity of bacteria in the gut. So we need to have as many different things to eat as possible. But we, it would be better if they didn't include sugar and processed food, if we're going to talk about the food thing. And if we eat a lot of sugar, exactly as you say, we've got this angry mob in the gut going, give me my sugar now. And it's really hard because they're sending messages banging on your brain going, I want sugar, I need sugar. Uh, Whereas if we have a lot of kale-loving bacteria, they're going to say, hey man, where's the kale? (laughs) Just like that, just like that. That's exactly how they speak. I have listened to them in my own gut. (laughs) Hey man, where's the kale? You know, the sugar mob get a little bit antsy. Yes, they've got low blood sugar and yes. it's, yeah, it's not good. They've, they've got no delayed gratification at all. Um, so, yeah, so we sometimes have to take a little while to get over that so we don't keep adding to the mob of bacteria that want sugar. Um, but we have a really diverse gut bacteria. Right. So the other thing about gut bacteria is that we... Um, they don't actually change that much during our adult life. So your gut bacteria and mine, often as a group, is called the microbiota. It's a fancy word for a lot of gut bugs. Um, they'll be a little bit like your fingerprint and my fingerprint. So they're going to be very individual. And that's actually great because what that means is although it can be impacted by a range of external stresses whether it's environmental chemical surgery disease process chronic stress trauma diet whatever it might be all those potential things which will negatively affect them short term is is that underneath that short term impact short term may last years obviously but we actually have quite a stable fingerprint of our microbiota right and that i think is really important to know because it shows that if things aren't right we've got the wrong imbalance we've just been eating chocolate every day we've been stressed i mean that's a very simple example then we get back on track with our diet we learn how to manage our stress maybe we change something in our life then we can change it. So it is changeable. We can um, change it to something much healthier by the way we live our life and what we eat. So that gives us great hope. And it's a little bit like the um, nervous system in the gut, which many of your listeners may have heard already is called the second brain. It's very plastic. So we know that the brain in the head is so neuroplasticity, a wonderful, again, fancy word. But what it means is that the brain in the head and the brain in the gut are not set in stone. We can alter how it works for the better or for the worse. 
how can we do that? You know, you think about somebody who's had a stroke, for example, and the brain and the head. If you do the right things physically, mentally, have the right support, you can really, the brain and the head will work out a new way of doing things really well. It's very plastic, it's adaptable with the right input. And so, and after infection or injury or whatever it might be. So that's great to know, you know, we're never stuck. We don't have to have the same pathways, things happening in the brain forever. Right. And the first time I ever heard you say that, which again was in this like four days of (laughs) massive (laughs) amounts of information, but I remember my mind really that sinking in the concept that the gut is plastic, like the brain Mm -hmm. and thinking about different things in my brain that have taken a while to change, whether that's like learning a new language or learning to, to diminish negative thoughts and negative thought patterns in my head. Um, all these things that I have patterns of, um, maybe even postural patterns, all these different things that I've had to learn and, and I don't necessarily get, I do get frustrated when I don't know something immediately, but I also know, Hey, Alison, if you do this enough time, your brain's going to catch on. It's going to be totally fine. But I think with our gut, I have found that people have experienced such long-term chronic problems. And I was in that same boat where I'm like, I've had this problem maybe my entire life. Um, Especially if you look back and I had colic as a baby and we're finding, and we're seeing that colic has a high level of, um, it basically comes this adult colic, which ends up looking like, I just get this upset stomach or I I now have, you know, I have IBS um, and it never really goes away. And so the the thing I found so fascinating when you said that it resonated with my story where I had a huge swath of time where my gut was majorly impaired and now it feels like it shifted and it wasn't fast. It wasn't like there were certain things that maybe made like huge 180 turns, but I still had to walk back down the mountain (laughs) where I came from, you know? Um, and so I just love that there's that plasticity that you um, have applied that concept. And I really think for our listeners, I really want to encourage them to feel hopeful that, that even if you actually could be doing the right thing, but it's just doing it for a set amount of time, just like learning a new habit or changing something in our brain. Absolutely. That's so true. You need to be consistent. Changing body habits and emotional habits is difficult um and really be connected in and listen to the gut so that brings us to a whole array of other things so so you were saying for your whole life you'd had these gut issues me too and for all kinds of different input so where do we get our gut bacteria from initially well It was thought until recently that we got them on the way out of the birth canal. As we went down the birth canal in our mother, we pick up her gut bacteria and that gives us a good start. But there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that's wrong with that statement and a lot of assumptions. So number one, what if our poor mother, and this is not a judgment, had really bad gut problems herself and did not have a healthy gut bacteria do we want to pick that up number one is it going to be helpful probably not um what if the mother did have a good gut bacteria but she had a very very stressful time during her pregnancy i've had mothers coming into my practice maybe they've lost a parent during the time they were pregnant so they've got this 
dreadful um, loss and grieving that's happened at the same time as they're building this new life. And we know that that is going to affect the baby growing in the womb who senses everything that's happening in the mother. So what if there's all kinds of historical things that the mother is bringing to the party, so to speak, that already impact her back, back, gut bacteria and the tension levels in the baby and their ability to take it on and deal with it. So we have already issues there. Right. Another interesting thing is that the placenta has been found to have its own little colony of gut back of bacteria. So the quality of the bacteria and diversity in the placenta that the mother makes is also vulnerable to all the things that have happened in her life potentially or happened recently or long ago. And apparently the bacteria community in the placenta is very similar to the community in the mouth, which I find interesting and we don't really know any more yet, it's new. I, I hope you're going where I think you're going and listeners, and, and if you're not, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna share this. This is super interesting, the mouth yeah. connection to, I mean, who, who, who would have thought that bacteria in your mouth are gonna be connected to your uterus? I, I mean, super far away. But I'll I'll let you keep talking. I'm so excited. (laughs) I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And this is quite new, so I don't really know any more. But I I knew you'd be interested to hear that. So we have to say that we're born with this um, unique microbiota to start with if we have a vaginal delivery. But all that history of the mother and how her pregnancy is and what she eats when she's pregnant, what she's eaten before all her life, will impact on what we pick up on the way out. And that could be wonderful or it could be not so wonderful. So um, so there actually in itself is a strategy. If you're thinking about having a baby, really think about your stress levels and your diet for at least six months before you start to get pregnant. Mm, Are you, I'm curious, where did you get that? The six months, is that from some research that you've seen? No, that's just out of my head. Out of your head. Okay. Cause the, and well, the reason that I found it interesting when you said six months, and I know that there's like, when people say, talk about trying to get uh, your prenatal vitamins in, Mm -hmm. they do say like, and you shouldn't be like, I'm pregnant already. You really want to be thinking I've heard between six months to a year before getting pregnant, but six months is this common, common time frame I hear for prenatal vitamins. But the other thing that stuck out to me is another piece of research in episode three that I shared about on probiotics where um, this uh, woman that I was went to another seminar on, she's a PhD and she did research on people who are overweight and their gut microbiome and trying to help them because we know that there's a connection between obesity and a very, very altered gut microbiome. Absolutely. And so they could not change that gut microbiome at all by like with probiotics. And even when they lost weight and got to a healthy BMI, the time frame it took for them to get in a more healthy, balanced microbiome diversity was six months after maintaining. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. After maintaining a healthy microbiome for six months, they saw a difference in their gut 
health or in their, in their gut flora. Um, mm. It was, you know, the, the month that they had healthy BMI, even as they were getting losing weight, not much of a change um, as far as seeing the balance they wanted. And it was six months after that. And they were kind of, their minds were blown. They were like, we've been feeding them probiotics. They've been eating yeah. healthy food. They've been losing weight and exercising and they had to maintain it for six months. I mean, so it's just yeah. my mind's I, um, I know you said that kind of off the top of your head, um, but there is at least that piece of research that I know yes. matches that plus the, what I know about vitamins. So, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, anything, you know, if you're taking a supplement or changing your lifestyle, you need to give it at least that for things to change in the body, whether they're muscle levels, fat levels, um, shifts in the hormones, um, better sleep to have its own impact you know in every kind of way you, you will need to give yourself enough time right for things to happen yes so, and that's so key it's it's actually one of the reasons I work for six months with people when they do work with me oh. um is I'm and they're like can we, can we do it shorter I'm like well you'll see the most change in three to four months but the last two months is so important with stability and stabilization yes, yes. um and one other thing I wanted to, to say that um, I wasn't sure if you were going to share, but with the mouth bacteria and the placenta, um, this is something I remember you had shared was that the research that supported it is they found that mothers with periodontal disease, so they had bacteria, bacterial infections in their mouth, um, they were finding that same periodontal disease bacteria in the in the placenta and in the the cavity the uteral cavity for the, with the baby which i remember being just floored by i would have never expected that and it was a, affecting the babies it i mean that's not a healthy bacteria and it can and does affect the baby's development and and it's in its own uh, microbial colonies so absolutely it's amazing but it's interesting because um, issues in the mouth and gum health, which of course is what you're referring to with the periodontal stuff, is important for our whole body health. It's just another example of how we need to take care of ourselves in a holistic way. We can't section a piece off at all, the mouth or the gut or the heart. So just by the by, a friend of mine who's a cardiologist recently went to a conference which was all about um, gut bacteria, gum health, and heart disease. And these are like very um, conventional medical cardiologists. And they are now having to really look at these other issues because they realize how important they are in terms of heart health. It's, so, I mean, yeah. I think in your class, and I, I think this is all your class that I'm recalling this information, but you swallow like a billion bacteria a day something like that. And so if that bacteria can't survive the acid in your stomach and it's going to get everywhere else. Um, and so I really remember walking away from that being like, okay, I definitely want to make sure I'm definitely brushing and flossing, uh, but <laughs> yeah. also keeping an eye out on like what's going on in my mouth. And I've had some clients say that they'll get, um, cavities in their mouth or they'll they'll have a they'll need a root canal and while they're waiting for their root canal like their GI system is literally going berserk they're like I'm super bloated mm -hmm. like food is really annoying me and they think maybe it's because like chewing's not super fun when you're waiting for your root mm -hmm. canal surgery mm -hmm. but um, there can be a whole amount of change also if you're listening um, maybe go into your bathroom and open up your mouth and stick out your tongue and if you have 
like especially an abundance of white stuff like this white film on your tongue and especially um, if it's been a while since you've brushed, so I do it like maybe not right after you brush, but wait a little while. Um, that is a sign that there is an abundance of yeast overgrowth in your body and could mean that there's a when there's a yeast overgrowth, I mean, that's a bacterial overgrowth and you're going to get bloating. You're going to have sugar cravings often. Um, you're going to have, there's going to be weight loss problems and could be constipation or diarrhea along with that foggy headedness. Um, but that also really, that struck me when I learned that fact um, about, again, how much the mouth is a window into how yeah. the rest of our body is doing. Um, just a fun little test oh, there. Well, absolutely. And my acupuncturist would say that if you've got that white covering, it's a real sign your immune system struggling. Ah, and that makes sense because because yeast. Um, one thing that I was yeah. taught, and one thing I, um, in functional medicine that we think about is yeast is a lower rung, um, infection. It's not very strong. So parasites yeah. like are very top. Bacteria is middle, and yeast is they're kind of weak. And so if you can't kick off yeast, it, it that would make sense that it's usually connected yeah. with a depressed immune system. Absolutely, because he always looks at my tongue. And when I was just beginning to recover from COVID, it was like, oh, mm, you know, he'd be sucking the air and <laughs> don't like the look of that kind of thing. But now it's like, yeah, that's better. <laughs> yeah. And one another thing, if you are seeing that white film on your tongue, you can, that's one of the reasons that um, you could brush the top of your tongue and that helps. Um, other mm -hmm. things, you know, if you've ever seen some people um, do tongue scraping where they, yeah, I go, do that. Yeah. You take, I don't know what, what type of utensil do you use? It, I mean, I, I got a tongue scraper, a metal one okay. from Amazon. Great. Yeah. And it's you just really easy. You just right. scrape it. It's very satisfying. <laughs> Right. I, I used to hate it, but um, my mom did it and I would look at her and be like, that looks really uncomfortable, but it, it makes a big what difference. Really? And, you'll, and you'll notice that your tongue is lighter. And then of course that affects the 1 billion bacteria yes. you're swallowing a day. Of course. Absolutely. And what you're saying about the mouth, you know, it is the entrance to the entire gastrointestinal tube, which I talk about mm. in my work and we've talked about so it's the beginning of that tube taking the outside world into the body all the way through, wriggling down through all the twists and turns and eventually out through the anus. So all of that is the outside world. But just one more comment about the mouth when you were talking, I thought, well, yes, and why do we get periodontal disease? Well, of course, sugar, poor oral hygiene, but what about all the emotional work we do as craniosacral therapists in the mouth? all the tension patterns there which are not conducive to having a healthy blood flow and healthy tissue in the mouth so the emotional work comes alongside all of that always and the the interesting thing about our emotions that that i'm a, i'm an anatomy and uh physiology gal i'm like well wh where is this coming from and as much mm -hmm. as i think i can Kind of experiential say there is this emotional connection to my body i'm like well where's where's the anatomy and the within the mouth there's in our a bunch of our emotions and go straight through what we call the 
uh, reticular formation. And so mm -hmm. that's the, that's this part of from the pons and the midbrain and then the brainstem where all of these signals are being sent to the body and the body is trying to, the brain is saying, okay, where am I sending it next? And it's, it's the first place that the body has to decide what am I going to do with this stimulus of information? Mm -hmm. And in the reticular formation, we have two major nerves that come out of it that plug in like a, <laughs> like a laptop corridor, you know, plugging into the wall and this is where we're getting our energy source um and that is our vagus nerve comes out of the reticular formation and then our trigeminal nerve comes out of the reticular mm. formation. The trigeminal nerve innervates the jaw. And so mm. we can get a lot of jaw tension straight from this, the reticular formation reacting and creating muscle tension and mm. this heightened, what we call the reticular activation system, which mm. is connected with our fight and flight. And so again, when you're saying, um, so the bacteria in our mouth are affected by blood flow and circulation and saliva flow and tension mm -hmm. and um all of that is it's all so close i mean it our mouth is so That's close true. to our brain and there's all these nerves and then of course the vagus nerve then anything that the trigeminal nerve is picking up you clenching your jaw the vagus nerve is sending to the gut and it's like hey guys we're really stressed today and all the bacteria down there are like oh oh we better change what we're doing yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, you think about it, you know, your mouth is your avenue of expression. So, and it's all in our language, isn't it? How many times does somebody perhaps have to hold their tongue and not speak? Mm. Or, um, yeah, or swallow their words or, you know. So I think that, again, from an emotional point of view, unless we're in the happy position of being able to express who we are and... Um, yeah, and just talk to people in an honest and authentic way, that has a huge impact on the tension and strain in our mouth and in our temporomandibular joint, the jaw, and all of the above. Yeah. yeah. So what it's massively important. Yes, I totally agree. Well, another thing that I'm curious, and I know you have some other stuff, but um, you can tell me if you want, want to go down this avenue. You said something really interesting about when babies are picking up bacteria. And you said that um, from when they're when babies are picking up bacteria from their moms, that it could be something that has recently happened to a mom that would affect the bacteria she's giving or something that happened long ago. And I know you have some really interesting thoughts on like, why would something long ago affect bacteria now? Mm, yes. So that's going to bring us back to um, our early experiences in life, which, as you know, is something I'm very... Um, I think is so important because it affects our lifelong health, mental and physical, always. So we have to take that into account. And so if we don't deal with our early experiences, then we can end up with long-term problems if we don't do anything to mitigate them. So we come back to the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, which your listeners can Google. And if they Google Adverse Childhood Experience, they'll find a whole lot of literature about it. They can do a little test questionnaire to find out their own adverse childhood experience score and what that might mean in their life. We'll and put they, a link in the notes too for anyone listening. Yeah, so and they can also do a little questionnaire for mitigating factors, which is really helpful. Awesome. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom. It's about understanding and awareness. 
But the biggest, so this was a study done on 17,000 people um, between the um, CDC and the Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. And it's still going on, the follow-up. And the, the one major thing that came out of it was that what happens to us as probably in utero as babies in the first few years of our life has an impact on us for our entire life in terms of in terms of our physical and mental health it's key and you you know many of your listeners may already be familiar with for example Gabor Mate he does some wonderful TED talks and information he's one of the um, growing number of medical doctors now who recognize that this is where we have to start that as a doctor, when you meet somebody, you need to know what their early years experience is before you try and deal with their health at I've, all. I've never heard of this guy. Can you say his name again? Oh, you will love him. Gabor, G-A-B-O-R, uh-huh. M-A-T-E. Wow. Okay. And we'll put a link in the, you said he has a TED Talk, so I'm guessing yes. he's got- He if does TED Talk YouTube things. Okay. Very interesting. We'll put so that in the, the new Surgeon General of California is Nadine, Dr. Nadine Burke. She wrote a book that came out of this study, which is called The Deepest Well. And she created a whole medical practice, which is founded on this completely. And so it makes me extremely happy that she has now the Surgeon General of the State of California because she is in a position to to really say to other medics look you can't ignore this this is something you need to talk to people about wow yeah how how adverse childhood experiences are it changing the the health trajectory of a 40 year old or a 30 year old uh, yes absolutely for our entire life and um I have it on my consultation form. I ask people the first time I meet them. And I, I don't like want them to feel I have to share everything before they even got to know me, obviously. <laughs> but I do have a thing that says childhood experience and I'll say to people, so if you look back your childhood, would you say, and you don't have to share any more than you want to, I always put that in. Would you say um, you felt valued and nurtured and reasonably happy? Or would you say you didn't? And then some people will be quite brief and say, oh, yes, I was, or oh, no, or they might go into more depth. But it gives me an idea, and it also gives them permission to go there, and it helps them realize, I know this is important. Mm. You know, I, I find that, and I remember being really touched when you'd share that with the class and thinking when someone comes and sees, whether it's a functional medicine practitioner or a body worker, like mm-hmm. they are not just working with that person um, in that one time frame. They're working with that person in every time frame beforehand with something that happened two days ago, something that yeah. happened six months ago, something that happened 10 years ago, and something yeah. that happened before they had memory. And so as body workers, there's so much, and which is what I started as, and then adding on functional medicine, there's so much honor that we need to bestow on things that happened in the past. And, and not saying like you're stuck in the past, but really, no, really saying, right, that we are, um, 
want to acknowledge it and not just say like, well, I got over it or I got counseling. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. it still happened. Absolutely. That's really, really important. And um, I think um, there are many mitigating factors. So if somebody realizes yeah realizes or becomes more aware of all those things that contributed to how they are now uh, oh i just wanted to add something in there sorry so another thing that a study said was that these early experiences have a long-term impact on our gut microbiota that's great and they were not they were not searching for that they were looking for anything right right anything just what impact might that have if we follow these people for years and years and years gut micro gut microbiota and definitely um was not great and so i think what are the mitigating factors so i think if you have very difficult early years experience you probably need to take that into account for a long time i think you can totally become healthy but i do believe that you have to recognize you have a predisposition to some things so i think it's helpful then to recognize that it's good to keep building resilience giving yourself that good diet, supporting your system, which in its very early developmental stages had some challenge that wasn't helpful. So anything can be mitigating all that, you know, the big list of things you can imagine, things like going for a walk. Now, your gut bacteria love being taken for a walk. <laughs> I always have this wonderful image of going for a walk with like, a thousand tiny tiny leads with tiny tiny little bugs on the end of them like you're taking your dog for a walk only i'm taking about a thousand different that's so funny is there do you, is there research that says that they they change when we go for a walk or I'm yes curious, they just think? yes they what? really okay. they love um even if we just go out into the fresh air for half an hour and walk that movement in the body breathing in the fresh air it helps all of us but it, the bacteria like it. So get your little leads hanging on the little hooks by the hall, by the front door and take them out for a walk. So fun. So, so walks are great. Do you know if that's the same with exercise, like in general, yeah. or is that like, okay, okay. So it's the same with exercise in general, which yeah. I'm not surprised about, but what I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to stop once, like maybe you got too stressed by the, by the exercise. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's always a balance. So if you're very extreme, like I'm going to do two Iron Woman events in a month, then my gut probably wouldn't be very happy. But I sure. just to let you know, I have no intention of doing even one of those. So it's exercise is good. And I think as far as on many, many for many, many reasons, but it really helps your gut. You need to get the circulation, the fluids flowing. It needs to be stretched. It needs to be moved just like the rest of the body. Things that make you happy are good, obviously. Mm. Singing, dancing, Tai Chi, yoga, going to the theater, whatever, being with your friends, talking, anything that lifts your spirits and helps you get into a kind of happy state is going to be also really have an impact on your gut bacteria because they do not like it when you're stressed right none of your body likes it actually but they don't either 
I can't remember if it was your class where I learned this or not, but um, every bacteria in our body and, and, and most of our cells for the most part actually have receptors for our stress hormone cortisol. Mm. And so um, our, our body is like hardwired to, to be like stress or no stress. It's like very black and white. And so um, when we're happy, it's like, okay, cortisol is really low. We're doing great guys. This is awesome. It's time to to duplicate and replicate and, and be really happy. But when there's cortisol, our bacteria will actually say, okay, time to hibernate. We shouldn't be doing a lot. There's probably a bear out there. I don't know why, because our bacteria, they don't have eyes. They don't have, have noses. They don't know what's going on around us. They only have chemicals to say what is going on like what's she eating what's she not eating um you know if we're if we're not eating enough because we're so busy then the bacteria are like oh my gosh we're starving we should go into starvation mode we need to hibernate and that totally changes our entire bacterial flock and then we have what we call opportunistic bacteria that when they sense cortisol in the gut they turn on they're like it is our time to shine. Um, it is time to, they, they, they know that it is time to take advantage of somebody. And so, um, let alone our own cells will Absolutely. know cortisol. So yeah, when we do all these things that make us happy, not just, I should be doing yoga. I should be eating this. No, exactly. There's this, there's this thing that I found that in my own health journey, as I was, getting away from, as I was healing, um, from all these food sensitivities I had developed, I was finding, okay, I can eat some more foods. And I was, I was genuinely scared. Like, can I eat this thing? And I know you kind of went through that as well as you were healing from your PTSD of like your gut being like, I don't know if I want to eat that right now, but I would do this thing where I would sit there and I would actually, I would, (laughs) I would be about to eat something like watermelon or something that used to make me feel really sick. And I'd be like, I thank this watermelon for how delicious it is. And I'm going to eat it with gratitude and I would eat it. And I would know that there was a chance I might not feel good, but I would expect that this good nutritious thing that Mm. I'm healing and it wants to heal with me. And I remember it really changed how my gut interacted with the food. And I really felt like it was that me approaching the food, not with fear, which would release cortisol, Mm. but with that happy, joyous gratitude. Um, and we even have an episode um, that came out on being grateful in the pain that you can look to if you're like, Allison, that sounds like impossible. How could I possibly be grateful with for, for something that has really hurt me for a long time? But there's this, there's this inter- interesting intersection, which I work with my clients in month five and six as we're exiting out of their time with me of how do we go back to foods that we actually put on your yellow list of like mm-hmm. reduce or on your red list and say, let's try it out. And, and there's a possibility you're going to be able to eat it again, but we can't eat it with fear. It, it's not no. helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah, you need to, um, the emotions have to come into it all the time. And I think very often we, it's easy when the gut's not working, we get disconnected from it, we get frustrated with it, we lack compassion for it, we get very rigid in our view about it. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and that's not going to help us. And that's tricky to change. And that's why we often need a bit of support to go down that other road. And that actually brings me to the other thing I wanted to talk about, which was how connected the gut bacteria are to our autonomic nervous system. All right. So, 
So this new little piece of research is from the Frontiers in Neuroscience, published online. Um, it's not that new, it's about a year or two. The vagus nerve at the interface of the microbiota gut-brain axis. And so what it's just saying, really, it's confirming that we now need to think about gut-brain microbiota axis because the bugs are part of all these conversations. And, um, and we know that the vagus nerve is a huge part of our ability to relax and digest our food. And if it's not able to function well, then it's very difficult for us to do that. We also know that we have the sympathetic, the fight and flight system, which I'm sure your listeners yes. are familiar with. You yeah. know, is there a bear out there? As you were saying, ah, am I going to fight it? Am I going to run away? However, if the bear does come through the door and is kind of over us like this with its mouth open, we might then go beyond fight and flight into freeze, where we're almost like playing dead and giving up and hoping it won't see us, all those things. And the freeze, in fact, is the vagus nerve, the parasympathetic system, spiking hugely. Mm. So the autonomic nervous system is already a complicated um, system where we can move from one state into another, fight and flight into freeze, back into fight and flight. But this is where um, your listeners might be really interested to look up some of the work of Stephen Porges. So he's got some really nice things on, I think, on Vimeo and YouTube now because the original book, I couldn't read. It was much too difficult. <laughs> we'll, we'll post a link for his stuff for on YouTube. Yeah. Tell us more. Um, so it's about polyvagal theory. So really, this is can be complicated, but I'm going to give you the, the bottom line stuff for polyvagal is that, yes, we have fight and flight. We know that something, are we going to, if we're in that kind of situation, we know we can go into freeze, if things get really overwhelming, our whole system is overwhelmed. And in freeze, we really disconnect from how we feel emotionally, physically. And that can be preparation for death in the most extreme example. Mm. Uh, but we also know from his work that we have a more developed and more recently evolved part of the vagus nerve, uh, which is all about being in this state that we've both been talking about this kind of happy social engagement, feeling safe state. So, you know, we, and you know, you were saying, um, exercise if you're enjoying it and it's not extreme, then you're gonna be in your happy state doing, it. it's gonna be really beneficial. There yeah. may be a little bit of sympathetic arousal to get that extra weight lifted or that extra 100 meters run, but then you easily come back into your a more evolved state which has a fancy name it's called the ventral vagal complex but you don't really need to worry about that it's part of the vagus nerve so I feel safe here talking to you and so I feel I can socially engage with you I see your face it looks friendly I can see the eye, <laughs> the eye contact the gestures and there's no wild animal in the office with me. I'll just check. No, there's still no wild animal in the office with me. So I'm feeling safe enough to attach, engage, 
with other people. I'm not in fight and flight and I'm not in freeze. So that's the state we would like to be in and that's the state our bacteria like. And if you look at this research, it says it has a huge impact on the GI tract and the microbiota when we're not in that state. Yes, I'm, oh, I love everything you're saying about the polyvagal theory because um, first off, it has huge implications for people who are counselors and specialize in polyvagal mm-hmm. theory on how they can help people with gut health by widening. Yeah. What, I, I love, um, I saw, uh, I've done a lot of research on it. And one of my favorite ways of thinking about polyvagal theory is that you have mm-hmm. these three states that you described. You have freeze, mm-hmm. fight and flight and in the middle, safe and social. And they're like car lanes on a highway. And that um, a really healthy person is going to have maybe three or four lanes of safe and social so that even if something kind of someone pushes them or crosses, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, pulls in front of them, that they'll just get into yeah. the lane and they're okay. But when you have had more traumatic things happen to you or haven't learned how to cope um, or had it had safe being safe and social, had it modeled to you. So maybe your parents or your teachers or your community was in a lot of fight and flight or freeze, then your other lanes get bigger. So um, if your fight and flight is big, it means it doesn't take a lot for you to be nudged and suddenly be like super panicked, anxiety, maybe angry, aggressive, um, or maybe your freeze lane is very, very large and it doesn't take a lot to push you into, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to stop talking. I need to withdraw. I'm overwhelmed. Stimuli is too much for me. I, I am going to shut down my emotions. And one of the interesting things about that, that parasympathetic shooting up, because we usually think of rest and digest is our parasympathetic, but this extreme version of it is freeze. freeze. Right. And that actually, when your parasympathetic nervous system, um, it can make you constipated because you're, you're no longer like, you're so relaxed. You've actually, your, your peristalsis has stopped. And so I found that people who tend to towards freeze as their, as their coping mechanism, they tend to be more constipated. Now constipation Mm -hmm. from lots of reasons, but that was one thing I look back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was who was frozen both in my bowels and in my, my Vegas, my vagus nerve system absolutely and because they are part of one system the vagus the autonomic the enteric and the gut microbiota and i see this in clients who come to me who are really seriously constipated all the time and i think the other thing is that you you touched on is that if we're a baby and our mother or prime carer is not able to be in anything other than either fight and flight or freeze, but has a very poorly developed um, safe social attachment aspect to her, then our whole, we are only going to learn that uh, because our whole nervous system as it develops, including the autonomic system, including the gut brain, will 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 physically model itself as it develops on hers so it's it's huge it's creating a brain in our head and a brain in the gut and the gut microbiota that um, that are not going to be beneficial to us and it's going to take then long-term work to come through that to mitigate that 
which is kind of, you know, and probably more than six months. And I see people who have really dissociated for many years in their life. And so they've been in freeze an awful lot of the time. And I often feel that um, it takes a huge amount of safety within a therapeutic relationship in order for them to be able to begin connecting back into that gut. Mm, yes. And so that requires a great deal of safety and care from the people they surround them with. Oh, yeah. So, so good. I think so good. <laughs> I, it, yeah. So I feel like know, we, I know we could keep talking about this. I'm curious. Um, are there any like key activation points that you would suggest for our listeners, Nikki, something that they can walk away from. They just heard a lot of super interesting information. Mm. We've definitely given them, I have all these links that we're going to be posting in the show notes for them right. to listen to other, maybe pick up a book or watch a YouTube video, but are there any action steps that you would say maybe yes. a good first, second thing they could try today or this week? I think if there's, if I had to pick one thing that would benefit it's breathing. So breathing, uh, our breath, uh, the shallowness of it, the, the um, depth of it is influenced all the way through our lives by our emotional and neurological state. And it has a huge impact on our gut as well. So if we can only pay a bit of attention to our breathing, so this might require um, just a few quiet moments during the day, maybe having our hands on our belly, our hands on our ribs, and just allowing our body to be as soft as possible and breathing into our hands, allowing the ribs to expand, allowing the belly to expand. So not trying to do anything too fancy with it, because I also know that people who've had trauma in their lives, if you start saying to them, right, I want you to count four on the inhale, four on the exhale, you can induce a lot of anxiety and panic, which is what used to happen to me um, a long time ago. So you can go from, if you're somebody who is anxious, maybe just noticing your breath without judgment, with self-compassion, and just what does it feel like? I'm just going to notice it. I'm going to support it. I'm going to explore. I'm going to allow my ribs perhaps to soften a little bit and give them a little massage. Maybe I'll just see if some of the breath would like to come into my belly. So I would encourage gentle, um, gentle exploration of your breath. And I think that's hugely important physiologically, chemically, emotionally. It's, it's um, one thing we can all do to improve our gut health and your gut bacteria will love you for it. Oh, Nikki, I am so grateful for you sharing that point. And particularly, I don't know if there's any of our other listeners that this stuck out to them, but when you said that counting or like being told what to do, this kind mm. of like rigidness is, is triggering for someone with trauma. Right. It, 
I have never heard anyone say that before. And I've been in lots of, for example, yoga classes and meditation classes, and, and they're, they're very guided and, you know, and I think they're not, they're not intending to harm, but I have had that same experience where I'm like, I feel like I'm doing it wrong. And I'm just kind of getting more tense as yes. they're doing it. And I'm, but I'm trying to obey and I, and I'm like, okay, I want to get better. So I'm just following what they do, but, but to allow your body to be like, no, this is actually making me more tense and saying, yeah. I think my body's telling me something. I love, yeah. I actually feel more free. I'm sitting here being like, I'm looking more looking forward to the next time I do a breathing exercise. Cause I actually yes. find that I feel like I'm in more in that boat that you're saying right now, even after all the healing I've gone through, I'm like, I don't want to count my breath. I, I want to be embodied. I just want to, I just want a moment to connect wherever I'm at without being told what to do without being told I'm wrong or without like having yes. to constantly improve and just relax for a moment. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Because otherwise what used to happen to me was I would be on the verge of panicking and so then I'd think, oh, no, I can't even do the breathing exercise. Uh, yes. So then I'd feel, well, now this class is an epic fail because I apparently I can't breathe. So it wasn't helpful. And so, you know, I have read a bit about um, yoga for people with trauma. And that was a revelation. I thought, oh, I see. So apparently that's quite normal. So if I teach a yoga for gut health workshop or something like that, I really make a point of saying to people, you know, um, I'm not going to do any counting. If anything I suggest starts to make you feel a little bit anxious or more tense, it's not right for you. What's much better is to listen to your and, and just notice the breath. Nikki, you are a treasure and you oh. have, we had a lot of links from um, your last episode that we had episode four. So we're going to relink those. You have a YouTube right. channel, you have Instagram. We're going to make lots of ways where people can connect with you. You even have a book um, and, and other resources and materials that we're going to link in the show notes below. So, um, but that is just, oh, what a wonderful way to end our, this episode, right. Nikki. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on again and just continuing to pour out all these things that you know oh, i imagine you'll probably be on the podcast again we, and we'll just have to see what we talk about next time i'll wait until i'm invited next time but oh. thank you awesome. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure talking to you and i always learn something as well and um now my metabolites are going to be like little amazon packages yes we both <laughs> agree they're little amazon packages yeah they they, they move very quickly yes Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm wishing you all the best. All right. Bye, Nikki. Bye. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. If you enjoyed hearing from Nikki and want to hear more, I want to encourage you to check out episode four, How to Heal Your Gut from PTSD. This was my first podcast episode with Nikki and it's full of even more information and really wonderful things to know about how craniosacral therapy and body work can help heal your body from trauma and chronic stress. So go check out episode four if you have not already. If you want to connect more with Nikki, I have links in the show notes where you can check out her book and all the links where you can check her out on social media. 
If you are a listener and you live in the Metro Detroit or Ann Arbor region and you want craniosacral therapy for your health, for your gut, then I want to encourage you to come and book a session at my office. You can go to betterbellytherapies.com slash booking. That's betterbellytherapies.com slash booking or click the link in the show notes and schedule a new client evaluation today. Or if you're listening and you're wanting support in your gut health, I want to invite you to join the Foundations Program waitlist. The Foundations Program is my personal one-to-one program to help clients in the U.S. and Canada through using functional lab testing to find the root cause of your gut health problems. If you want to stop guessing in your health and finally get some answers, then I want to invite you to join the waitlist today. It's the only place where I let you know when I am taking on new clients. Also, if you are new to this podcast, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad you're here. We have so much more coming down the line for the podcast. So go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss out on a single episode coming up. And if you want to connect more with us, other ways that you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with followers there, and it'd be so great if you stopped by and said hi. And lastly, I'll end with our motto. Miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. Perhaps and potentially six months of time. Where can you be in six months? I would love to be with you there, staring at a whole new you and a new life. Go ahead and join the Foundations Program waitlist today or book a new client evaluation if you are ready for that new life. Catch you guys next week.